Hello, and welcome to the Workplace Justice Podcast. This podcast helps to inform and empower you about your rights within the workplace. We cover topics and examples of various matters in employment law, including sexual harassment, pregnancy discrimination, racial discrimination, how the courts define a hostile work environment, whistleblowing, and everything in between. Workplace Justice is brought to you by the New York City employment and civil rights law firm, Nassar Law Group. Here are your hosts, Mahir Nassar, Casey Wolnowski, and Jeffrey Rosenberg. Thank you for listening to the Workplace Justice Podcast. I am your host, Meyer Nassar, and today's episode will explore workplace discrimination from the inside. Today's guest has made it his mission to transform the workplace by learning more from what happens within. In his 13-year career as a finance and accounting expert, he's been on the partnership track at a big four firm and managed the finances for billions of dollars of real estate. Originally from the UK, he's worked in London and New York, and in both places, he grew tired of being the only black face in the room. Worse, he saw companies misleading and abusing professionals of color as they lazily tried to become more diverse without becoming more inclusive. He built inside voices to stop the cycle. And since launching in 2021, over 1,000 companies have been reviewed on his website to date. Thank you, Echo Sani Thomas, for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Looking forward to talking. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about Inside Voices. Sure. So Inside Voices is an online platform that helps job seekers understand how companies treat people of color before joining by hearing from current and former employees. So we're really trying to get past the press releases and the statements that companies release about their commitment to diversity that, you know, really just amount to lip service. There's no accountability there. And we're trying to provide some transparency because job seekers make decisions about where to work. And there are places where you can investigate the culture. But as a professional of color, uh, and I'm sure you know this, you know, race does have a large impact on my experience in the workplace. But unfortunately, there's no way to get insight into how companies treat people before you get there. Once you join a company, you kind of feel committed. You're there for a couple of years at least because you don't want to look like a job hopper. You can damage your mental health. You can stunt your career. Um, It can have significant impacts on people. And I think we're really seeing lots of that burnout and decrease in employee loyalty. And that's all coming or largely coming out of the the difference between people's expectation of what it's going to be like to be in a workplace and the reality of what it's like to be in that workplace. So we're just trying to put some more power in the job seekers' hands and give them insight into what it's like to be there by reading reviews from the people that are already there that can tell you the truth. That's amazing. And I guess as we kind of discussed, you worked at a large-scale big four accounting firm and and you have a lot of experience in your overall career trajectory. I mean, for you, what really motivated you to create this, this organization, this platform? So I worked at EY for 12 years and then I moved to another company. And when I moved to this company, I spent a lot of time researching where I wanted to go. You know, I asked other people, I, you know, I didn't, obviously I was on Glassdoor, I kicked the tires and I found a company, you know, whose reputation matched my values. It was an ESG focused investment fund. The CEO was actually Palestinian. That was really exciting to me to work for a company that had, you know, a person of color at the very top. And they just said all the right things. 
after I joined, I noticed that there weren't really any conversations about diversity and it wasn't a diverse organization. But, you know, you kind of just keep your head down when you first join a company, you get on with it. And in the end, I started making some noise and kind of rose to prominence in the diversity conversation. At the same time, there were some changes in the structure and I ended up working for someone who just began discriminating against me immediately. Mm. You know, she treated me one way, she treated the white, well, she treated me and the other black and brown employees one way, she treated the white employees another way. You know, there were two people at my level, the other person left within about two months because they saw the writing on the wall. Mm. I tried to stay and stick it out and the person just continued to undermine and devalue, demotivate me, take opportunities away. And I thought, you know, I'm in this prominent place in the organization. I've been leading the charge for diversity. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to demonstrate that you can file a grievance with a company if their values are what this company said they were and actually have it go the right way. And inevitably, I was wrong. You know, they closed ranks on me. They retaliated against me. I was pushed out of the organization. And notably, on the way out, I finally got some truth from coworkers who'd been hiding things or not felt not felt like they could be honest mm-hmm. because they didn't feel like it was safe enough to tell the truth that before I joined, there'd been a several prominent black exits and that I was actually just the last in line of black employees who'd come into the company, been abused and then left unceremoniously. And so if I had known that before I joined, I would, would never have accepted the contract. And that was really the inspiration for Inside Voices was when I realized that there was information that had I had could have saved me from this experience mm. and that I was leaving with information that if I didn't find a way to share it, someone else is going to have the same experience. And it just didn't sit with me. So there was no solution that I saw that worked. So I decided to build one. That's awesome. And I think that that's certainly brings a lot of value, especially for people that are looking to find a position and they want to know whether or not, like you mentioned, that company's culture within is going to be consistent with what their brand and reputation that they set out is as well. And so, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of times people that start working within an environment, they start to recognize the certain patterns. And you mentioned there was a certain way that uh, brown and black people were being treated in comparison to, let's say, the white counterparts that were within that workplace. When did you start to, or when did you recognize the difference, the patterns of, in essence, discrimination? Funny, it takes a minute, actually. It's, you know, I think often when you speak to particularly white people who are not engaged in these kind of conversations, they think that your mind goes straight to race. But actually, I move through the world without thinking about race at all. And it's only when a racial incident hits me in the face that I'm suddenly reminded that there's this oppressive system that's working to hold me down. Immediately, it was very clear this person did not like me, didn't want to hear from me, didn't respect my work. But I had a really, I had a great reputation at the company at the time. So the way that I realized that there was something untoward was that they only displayed their displeasure when we were alone. When we were around other people, when we were around other people more senior than them, they, you know, basically just stayed out of my way. But when we were together, it was, you know, it was abusive, it was very hostile. It was just so combative. And, you know, I went through all the steps. You know, you start with, okay, let me try and kill them with kindness. Maybe this is just, you know, we're not getting on. So mm-hmm. I tried just being, you know, extra helpful and volunteering for everything. That didn't work. Then I tried, you know, actually trying to meet them as a person. So if there was a social event in the company, I would make effort to go and try and socialize with that person. That didn't work. 
Um, and actually, once they, you know, at social events, is often drinking. And once they started drinking, you know, microaggressions start to slip out. And I started to see who the person truly was. Mm. But even then, I didn't really figure it out. It was only after, I think, about eight months of going through this and realizing that the team that I had joined, which was the most diverse team in the company at the beginning, now had people of color leaving, constantly always being replaced by white people, and that I was about to be one of them, and that they were getting different treatment than I was, and the few people of color were left were. That's when I realized, actually, this is about race. Um, and the difficult part about it is it's very hard to evidence that something is about race, right? You know, unless you catch someone you know, using a slur or they actually make the mistake of telling you, which they rarely do. It's very hard to evidence that something is about race. But I was certain and I decided to go down the path of um, filing the complaint. I lodged, you know, I did all the formal things you're supposed to do, uh, but to no avail, unfortunately. And there's one thing that you raised. I think that's a pretty common thing for people from uh, people of color, especially within the workplace, is that there's this thing where we audit whether or not it could be race. It's one of the things that you don't want to be true. Certainly what you've described is, is a very common pattern of not even recognizing or acknowledging it. And it takes a lot for somebody to actually come to that point of being like, you know what, it seems like, you know, after, after exhausting everything, this is what it is. Is that kind of how it went about for you in terms of the whole process of trying to work harder, be more... Uh, social and kind of seeing whether or not there was something about your personality or was there something that you felt in terms of your connection or your personality that could have made a difference in how that person saw you? And is that kind of why you went about kind of exhausting these processes of trying to be more present with them in essence? Yeah, it, it's funny. So we all know our own lives and we know the patterns that we generally get into with people, new people who we meet. We, we're familiar with how new people behave around us, particularly in a work environment where everybody's making an effort to be polite generally and professional. This person, you know, right from the very beginning, when I would start speaking in a meeting, they would visibly roll their eyes. They would cut me off you know, and interrupt me. They would challenge my ideas to the point where other people in the team had to come to my defense because it was so clear that the challenge was unjustified. And for a while, I started to wonder, and I think the real reason that I felt like I had to lodge the complaint was that when you're in an environment frequently enough and you're told something often enough, even if you know it to not be true, part of you does start to believe it, right? So I started to make myself smaller and I started to believe that I could achieve less and that I was less because that was the reinforcement that I was getting from this person. And it got to the point where that was, you know, seeping into other areas of my life. Um, it was in my personal life. It was in the way that I dealt with people. I was becoming a smaller, more fragile person, uh, which, you know, if you know me, is just not who I am. I'm very confident. I'm very happy with myself. And it was really my partner seeing that in me uh, and seeing me crumble and her saying, we need to do something about this that kind of woke me up to the fact that this thing that I knew was happening to me, that I thought, you know, I have thick skin. I can I can withstand it. It was actually starting to have an impact. It was having an impact on me and I had to do something about it. I mean, from the moment that I submitted the complaint, I knew that my days at that company were numbered because, you know, in reality, it was unlikely that this was all going to go in my favor. But I thought, and I also thought that 
when I submitted the complaint, it would start to feel better immediately. And actually it didn't. It actually just sent me into an even more difficult time because on top of the difficulty of trying to figure out why this is happening to you, once you think you know, and then you become more certain in your belief, trying to convince people who do not want to believe it is even more difficult. It's harrowing. You're explaining something, you think you've laid out all the facts, you've given them all the evidence that you could give, and they're looking you in the face and telling you they don't understand what the problem is. And that gaslighting, that corporate level gaslighting, that's where the real damage is done. You know, that's why Inside Voices exists. You know, on Inside Voices, you can't, or it's in our terms and conditions, you can't name anybody outside of the C-suite because the leaders of the company are responsible for where the company goes. But while the perpetrator of your anguish may be an individual below that level, and that person, yes, they did you wrong, but it is the organization's responsibility to take account for that, stop that from happening in the future, and make you whole. And that's where organizations fall short. And you raise a really important point about how this impacts you mentally and emotionally, especially in light of the fact that when you're seeking accountability, when you're seeking some sense of support by that organization's procedures and processes to look into your concerns about what you have seen and what you have experienced, that it seems like they are not focused on seeking the truth, but more seeking a way to demonstrate that your experiences are not consistent with reality, that typical gaslighting situation, and how that causes the harm that one experiences. And in terms of your experiences with it, how hard was it for you in terms of not only having to have gone through the unfair discriminatory type environment and the person and all that, and then seeking that accountability and finding that it was almost like a different continuation of what you had already gone through. It almost kind of made it worse for you. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was, there was so many factors. The formal complaints process required a written statement or letter from me uh, detailing all of the grievances that I had. And in doing that, that required recounting and reliving everything that I'd already been going through and putting it on on the page. And that was difficult for a couple of reasons. One being it was just difficult to go through it all again and put it all out together. But the other being that because it was so emotional, and this is something that, this is the reason why Inside Voices, there's still work for us to do in improving what we have. Because it was so emotional, I actually lost my ability to, to describe what was happening in a way that was coherent and helpful and credible and really uh, laid it out for people. You know, I wrote a first draft and my wife rewrote the entire thing. One thing I'll say is, and this is documented in studies, is that professionals of color actually stray away from discussing race in workplace scenarios. So I wrote the thing, which was, you know, about racial discrimination, and I barely mentioned race in it because every time my mind moved towards saying, and I think this is because of race, or this did not happen to the, my white coworkers, I just moved away from it. I was like, well, that's kind of obvious. They'll, they'll pick it up. And that's something that I think is actually common in people's reviews on Inside Voices as well. Which is really interesting that you say that because that's one of the biggest challenges that I've seen as somebody that practices in this area is that, and this is one of the reasons why, I don't know if you've seen the videos on TikTok, that I'm so so crazy and so fixated on this thing about, please specify the unlawful discrimination. Specify it within that complaint because 
I want to know, uh, and this is something that you, you bring up, and it's my first time hearing about it, is why, and it's like what you said, they, they might pick it up. Why is there this thought process of trying to not be clear and blunt about what you believe is the cause or the motive behind the treatment? It's subconscious. It is, it's the same thing that, you know, listen, if you're going to be a person of color in a predominantly white institution, things that countless things are going to happen, which you know are racially tinted that you will not mention. So the muscle builds up, the muscle that stops you from mentioning things that relate to race builds over the time that you spend in those organizations. So then all of a sudden to burst through that barrier and point out something, you know, particularly writing something so emotional and harrowing and saying this was related to race and these were the ways that they were related to race. You know, you've turned that filter off. That's a way of seeing the world that you stopped trying to tap into. And then suddenly having to put it on paper and, and explain that, you really do need to be guided. It's in explaining it, you need someone to help you take what you are saying and put it on the page. Because I think people, you know, it is, it is a barrier that I don't think people can get through on their own without guidance. Another thing that I found very difficult about it was, uh, obviously it was difficult to, <laughs> that I wasn't mentioning race, it was very difficult because it took me a long time to produce this sort of written statement and to get everything in. Often, if you're in this situation, you're a high achiever. You know, you're a person who wants to do well and is used to being happy with your own work output. Maybe you're a little bit of a perfectionist. And because you have this high standard for yourself, when you fall short in this instance, right, one where you're advocating for yourself and the stakes are so high, when you see yourself failing to convince people, failing to explain everything in a, in a good way, then you start being even harder on yourself. So then I got mad at myself for not being a good enough advocate for myself. So then the anger turned to me. Then I was frustrated and I was stressed and I was disappointed in myself. I said, like, why can't I do this? I've done much harder things, I thought. So that was another part that made it really difficult. It was, it was just so insidious. You know, I was, you know, my anger turned from them to me. And then there was the part of the people in the organization who I thought would support me. And if, you know, if you've seen my latest TikTok video, you know, I talk about experiencing racism in the workplace and everybody that you think is going to come to your aid, just watching. They do nothing. You know, at the time I had been on panels, I'd had one-to-ones with the CEO. I was, you know, the most prominent person of color in that company below the CEO. Everybody in the company knew my name and my face. And people were coming to me and asking me questions about diversity. I was having conversations with senior leaders. But then when it came to getting support in this, all but one went completely silent. And, you know, to this day, that still sits with me. Like how quickly your allies disappear when it really is time, you know, to take up arms. And these are people who I understand how scary it can be to feel as though they're having to put their social and political capital on the line, but they had the power to do something. You know, they were much higher than my boss. They had the power to change the way these things went. And they all just said, well, you know, I don't really know. And I didn't really see it. And yeah, they enabled the situation all the way through. And then they failed to come to my aid. And I think, you know, looking back on those people, that also makes you question and it makes you view workplaces differently. You know, who can I trust and who will I get close to again? It's tough, especially when, you know, a lot of times, especially in this area of the law, it's very difficult to have people that will be witnesses and like you mentioned, support you at the time when you need them to kind of corroborate your experiences because what you described is is perfect in terms of showing how the system is stacked against you. 
And so when you're out to, as somebody who's a high performer, somebody who's a person that's looking to explain your situation and get them to see it from your perspective, that you think that you might be able to get them to understand that. But the issue is, is that their focus and objective is not understanding. Their focus and objective, from what I have seen for most companies, is to protect the company. It's to protect the bottom line, to protect the powers that exist, to protect that control and that greed and the way that that system already works. So I think, and this applies across the board into every system, systemic injustice and systemic oppression, all these words of systems that we use to describe how it's so complicated, it's so complex. The truth is, is that nobody wants to focus on the truth. They want to focus on systems and say, oh, it's that system, it's this system, it's you didn't do this part, you didn't do this part, you didn't follow this procedure and that thing, right? It's all different mechanisms to make it harder to get to the truth. And at the same time, as you mentioned, how that impacts people's minds, how it impacts them emotionally. And I think your organization is, uh, is so needed. When I obviously came across it and I learned a little bit about it, it, it kind of showed to me how important it is to cater to transparency about not only what these companies are saying about their efforts to diversify, to cater to equity, to create an inclusive environment, to now put that to the test by people's experiences. Now, are all people that go through these things and experiences are always going to necessarily be able to demonstrate or really understand what they're going through. It's not easy to figure it out because we don't come into a workplace or any place for that matter, assuming that when we go in with all the banners and all the statements that have been made about us feeling like we will be considered equal to others and that we belong in that environment, and that we have been brought into this environment to be a part of it, that we're really not that we're not. We're the outsiders and we have to find a way to get in. We have to break those barriers that exist and it's systemic and it's hard to do that. So I think that your work, your organization and what it stands for and what it looks to achieve is so needed because it's a way to prevent and actually help people not to have to experience these things. And also, it seems like because of this help that job seekers will get, it also seems like employers will start to recognize more about what their failings are. And so can you kind of walk us through how that, uh, as you mentioned that you have these sit-downs, what has your experience been with, let's say, these reviews and these companies that are catering to this in terms of DEI efforts and kind of putting them to the test? Sure. So I mean, the core mission behind this, right? So the, you know, the immediate impact is, like I said, it is job seekers getting better information about where they where they should and shouldn't go to work. Right. And and people evaluating, you know, where does the real way that this workplace operates sit within my level of tolerance? You know, I've heard this person's description and, and our questions are actually focused on race-related outcomes for the organization as a whole, as opposed to asking people just to recant their own individual experiences. And, you know, people do do that. Um, so the way it works is we have seven multiple choice questions that span outcomes related to DEIs. So, you know, representation in leadership, in the workforce, inclusion, fairness. And then the penultimate question is, would you recommend this company to a person of color? And then the last question is why? 
and that's our free text question where people bring in anything that's impacting their answer to whether they'd make that recommendation. And people include their own personal experiences, but they also just include what I find to be very helpful knowledge that you have about your own organization that other people just outside don't know. You know, I've seen reviews that have said, we had a head of diversity, they fired them at the beginning of the pandemic, then re-advertised the role at a significant pay cut two months later. Doesn't scream, we care about diversity. These kind of things that if you're inside the company, everybody inside knows, but if you're outside the company joining that company, that might make the difference. Now, the real long game in the mission is for us to vote with our feet. You know, every survey that we see, it's very clear, an overwhelming majority of people, not just people of color, but people want to work for companies that value diversity and inclusion, right? People are making decisions based on this. Over 30% of people said they wouldn't even apply to a company that didn't have a diverse workforce. So if we can get this information into people's hands when they're making decisions about where to work, then they can vote with their feet and say, actually, I'm sorry, this is an attractive offer. I have offers or there are other similar companies that I can work for. I'm going to go over there. And when those companies struggle to recruit the best talent, when those companies have to pay more to recruit the best talent and it finally hits their bottom line, then they'll reform. Because I don't see any movement happening because, you know, one or two members on the C-suite feel like diversity and inclusion is important. I don't see companies making adjustments to their strategies based on, you know, what feels good and what they think is right for the world. The bottom line is always going to be about money. It's always going to be about what costs us and what doesn't. And we need to provide a mandate to those, you know, one or two advocates to give them an opportunity to say, listen, this is now actually a real problem, a short-term problem. This isn't just about becoming more diverse long-term. This is stopping us from being able to recruit because people now know the truth. And as a result, we need to change it now and we need to change it fast. And that is the long-term goal. That's great. Out of curiosity, because you've, uh, I'm assuming you lived in, in London, as you mentioned, and New York. Have you seen much of a distinction in terms of experiences for people of color and in comparison uh, from New York to London? Certainly. So there is more representation in leadership here. Okay. There's still not much, okay. but there is more. Uh, I think part of that is just due to you know people of color make up a larger percentage of the population in the U.S. than they do in the UK. And really, I'll just compare you know New York to London. I shouldn't do country to country because right. I don't think either city represents its country that appropriately or that fairly. Fair enough. Conversations about race, particularly in the last couple of years, now do exist in workplaces in the US. I still think there's a lot of work to be done in the UK to even get to the point that we're in in New York. You know, race is not spoken about in the UK at all. When it is, you know, there was actually a, the government issued they had a, a report issued, I think, last year, where they concluded that there is no systemic racism in the country, which is, you know, hilarious and just just farcical, uh, and received immediate pushback. But that's the leadership of the country saying that. So, you know, it is. I would say everything is about 20 years behind. Mm. You know, it is. It is felt as though because the country doesn't have the sort of storied, explored, and documented history of intentionally targeting specific groups of people, that systemic racism doesn't exist, right? Because it's not, because we don't have, you know, 13th and all these documentaries and books talking about how that country has used and abused people of color, that it doesn't exist, and so they don't have to deal with it. 
And so even when there are conversations about anti-racism, I mean, one, they often stray into talking about America, which is hilarious. And two, they rarely get off the ground because the impetus to actually make change isn't really there. It's not embedded in people's hearts. They don't think the problem is that big. And they often receive pushback from sort of older, more institutional uh, English people. So I know it, it can be surprising sometimes to hear that the US is doing something better uh, when it comes to race. But I think you know, attitudes in the UK and I think in Europe in general are just behind where the more liberal attitudes are in the US. Mm, interesting. So I guess in terms of um, inside voices and from your perspective, what do you think that we need to do more to cater to more of a diverse, equitable and inclusive workplace and fight workplace discrimination to, to the point where we can actually feel like it's starting to lose? Oh, big question. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, for me, there's two main, main parts to this. One is about inclusion. And I think a large part of the problem there, you know, first of all, let's start with the fact that workplaces are, for most people, the most diverse places that they visit, right? So while a lot of people feel as though being out of the office is better for them and it may be better for them individually. I think as a society, it may actually be to our detriment because I think the less time that we spend integrated, the worse it's gonna be for race relations in general. Now, talking about inclusion, particularly within the corporate world, we have built this idea of what professional means and there are large parts of that that have nothing to do with someone's ability to do a job. They are just about building people up in the image of, you know, those titans that have come and gone. And those titans are inevitably white men. And so forcing everybody to emulate and pretend to be and, and idolize this image of what these white men of tens and hundreds of years ago were like, it's not productive. It's a waste of time trying to get people to conform. It, it wastes, you know, the value of the differences that people have and the different experiences they can bring in. And it costs people opportunities because they're being held to a standard that they're not familiar with and they didn't grow up in. It's basically just squeezing everybody into one cultural norm. And it's just not necessary. So I think we need to tear down the idea of professionalism and build, start building again from the ground up. What is relevant and what isn't? And I think a great example is that, I'm sure you saw this on LinkedIn, there was a judge, a federal judge, and she posted an image of herself in her, I think they call it a robe or whatever, and she had the sleeves pulled up and she had a full, it was a black judge, bald head, female, and she had a full sleeve tattoo. And she said, this is what professionalism looks like. And I loved that because we need to shatter the idea that a white man in a suit is, the, is what professionalism looks like. We can all be professional as long as we can do our jobs well. The other thing I would say is that we need to restructure our organizations so that we can identify and combat discrimination before and after it happens. And this is a long-winded way of getting around to this, but I'm gonna try and keep it short. But after Enron, so I, so I come from the accounting world, and after Enron, the government introduced these new accounting procedures that basically said if in a public company, they had to have a documentation of every single process that could hit finances, and they had to have controls before and after every process to make sure there weren't mistakes. That is an airtight way of making sure that the mistakes that sit within each individual within the company don't leak into the decisions made by the company. You may wanna pay $600 to this person. The company wants to pay 60, you'll pay 60 because the controls are there to make sure. 
we need that same level of scrutiny and that same level of structure applied to decisions around who people work with, how they work and what opportunities they're given, how they're paid and all those HR related um, and individual related uh, queries. We need that same level of structure and those same level of controls so that one rogue manager, you know, there's no world in which companies are going to get all the racists out of their company. They're not even screening for them. So it's just not reality. And they're not going to get all the racists out of the country. Right? Those people are going to be there whether they know they are or not. You need to, companies need to be responsible for making sure that their biases don't leak into the decisions that are made on behalf of the company. And the last question I have for you, why should people of color visit insidevoices.io and place a review about the company that they work for? Everybody. Everybody, particularly if you listen to this podcast, if you are an anti-racist, if you care at all, you should be on insidevoices.io. You should be writing a review. This is an anti-racist action that you can take in three to four minutes. It doesn't matter if your company is good, bad, or somewhere in the middle. You need to be documenting how it is so that people can make intelligent decisions, informed decisions about where to work. This is a very small act of, I guess you could call it civil disobedience, but it is necessary. It is anonymous. You know, we will never disclose your information. It is just as much my reputation as yours if I ever disclose your information because my company depends on you being able to have a safe space to write reviews and tell the truth. For those people that aren't quite sure if they're brave enough yet, I would just say have courage. There is no way we're going to get change without each of us taking just one small step that involves bravery. This is not going to happen. Nobody's coming to save us. So just get involved, write a review, make it as helpful and as long as possible because people want context, people want information. And let's see if we can make some change. Let's drive the change that we want to see in the world. Echo, thank you so much for taking out the time today. Deeply appreciate it. And uh, I love the work that you're doing and I'm here to support it in every way possible to make sure people do place reviews on that website to make sure that we're going to be able to cater to more diversity, equity, and inclusion for people that are looking for jobs in these companies and holding them to account. So thank you for, for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us today on the Workplace Justice Podcast. Love this episode? Leave us a review and tell us what you think about our show. If you haven't subscribed yet, head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss a new episode. Need help? Talk to an employment lawyer today. Visit our website at nisarlaw.com or call 212-600-9534 for your free case evaluation. See you in the next episode.